open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll be picking back up in chapter 10. But a few announcements, some changes to take note. If you haven't had a chance to sign up for the um, e-calendar, uh, please make sure you sign up and let uh, Kathleen or I know so that we can put you and send you the link so that you can receive the, the church calendar. And we do updates and changes through that as well. Um, some of the things for you to take note, because of July, many people take uh, a break and they go back home for their block leave. For the, if you're military, they take off and go back home and they travel. So we usually have a slower month in July. <clears throat> we will not be having Koinonia Sunday night here in July. We'll pick back up in August. And we also, the second Saturday of each month, we do a men's um, breakfast. We will not be having men's breakfast this July uh, as well. But some of the other things that are taking place in July, the ladies' brunch will be taking place on July 1st here. There is a sign-up sheet, so we have a sense, Kathleen has a sense of how many people are coming, and you can give an under, understanding of what you're going to be bringing and sharing uh, at, for the, the brunch. And so um, make sure if you have any questions, you see Kathleen, and she'll be happy to help you on that. That is taking place here July 1st as the next Sunday brunch from 10 to 12 noon, just the two hours. And again, sign up, and if you have any questions, see Kathleen for that. Also, um, for in month of uh, July, there's a Calvary Kids Day at the park, July 22nd from 9.30 to 12.30 in Thompson Park. It's an opportunity for our kids to come. They get to go through. It's our little VBS, our mini VBS. It's an opportunity for an outreach for you to invite others uh, of, their, of their friends to be able to come if they're not part of a VBS already. Um, and if any questions, see Heather Lavalley, the director for the children's ministry, and she'll be able to help you um, get any details. That's the green little cards that you can get over on the desk here, information desk out front. Also, uh, we do an annual, uh, the Lavalley sponsor a, uh, a July 4th barbecue at her, their house. And it's in a place with an opportunity for you to bring something to share, um, a dish to share, and then you bring something to barbecue. And, they, and he'll have his old-fashioned little barbecue by the coals going, and, he, and you can be able to throw it on there. And from there, after we spend some time, we just walk up the hill and we go up to the... Um, the fireworks, which will be taking place here for Watertown on July 3rd, that evening, that Monday. So if any questions, it starts at 5 p.m. at the LaValle's house, and the address is on that, and that's the blue card for you to get. If you have any questions, see Heather and Pastor Rich, and they'll be happy to help you with that. Uh, a couple more things. We do uh, community outreach where we go to uh, opportunity to go to a couple of the the farmer's markets, uh, one in Carthage, one here in Watertown, and some of the other festis, festivals that are going on. And you can sign up if you'd like to be part of that outreach. We have a, a table we put out there for regards to the information, um, biblical information to give out freely to people. Um, and Bibles if they don't have any, but also we also promote the radio station. We actually have the radio station up this year, up and running since December. Last year we did not have it. We just said it's coming. This year we have it, so we're going to have an actual radio uh, 96.9 FM playing there while we're there. So we have uh, 
a big box actually. It's, it has 100 hours worth of playing, so, so we should be totally fine to be able to pick up the station and be able to play and, and have people be able to come get information. But the key thing is for the radio uh, to get the word out, but also we give out these little vignettes on truth from the scriptures that people can take with them, and it's their front and back. It's very simple to the point on some of the key foundational truths that we want to get out there. So if you can help on that at any of those festivities, you can see Pastor Rich. There's a sign-up sheet as well out there on the information desk. Uh, CareNet, one of the local ministries that we support from uh, the tithes, gifts, and offerings that we bring to the Lord, we give a, a portion to them. There is also a couple of things. One is if you haven't received your, grabbed your bottle, your baby bottle to fill up with coins or dollars so that it's a fundraiser for them and you can put it in the little white bucket that out there in the information desk, fill it up. We can always get you another or two or three. They, a great opportunity to be able to, uh, to get rid of all that change and loose bills that you're just hanging around all the time. Just stick it in there. It rolls up pretty well. Also, they do a summer auction silent. Uh, silent auction with the community bake sale and rummage sale. That's July 29th from 9 to 3 p.m. And uh, it's open to the public, no entry fee. And there's some information, more information out there for CareNet out there on the information desk as well. Also, uh, we just kind of a uh, kind of an annual thing that we do that we started when six years ago when the church started. Uh, we gathered together with a few families when we started back there. We were in the uh, the Ramada Inn, and so we said, well, we can't have to be, we can't stay at the Ramada Inn any longer than a couple hours that they allowed us. So we said, where do we want to go? It's Sunday afternoon. We want to get to know you. And uh, we found out the Sackets Harbor Historical Society puts on a concert during the summer. And it's, uh, and it's pretty nice. It's from 3 to 5 p.m. out there on Sunday afternoon at the Battlefield State, Par uh, Battlefield State Park. And so they play uh, a little thing. We sit in the back left corner. We have a little flag that you'll see the Calvary dove that we put in the, in, the, in the ground so that you can find us. We just get there and we sit on the blankets and chairs and we just have some, you know, bring something to munch on. But we just sit in back and really fellowship and listen to the music and relax. It's beautiful out there. So if you haven't interested, today's the day it starts, July uh, 25th. It's the big um, uh, Big band of swing music, post-war tunes, and the old classics that they play. They're very good. They play uh, every year. It's, uh, they're very, very good. But anyway, we enjoyed that time. So if you have an opportunity, you want to get to know us, we're going to be there. And we just sit out there and relax and enjoy the weather. It's a beautiful weather out there today. And we'll listen to the music if you'd like to join us. I think that's all the announcements. With that said, whew, we'll get started here. Open up your Bibles if you haven't already. The first... Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will be picking back up in verse 14 where we left off last week. We continue to see Paul addressing the second major question from the letter that the Corinthian believers sent to him. Saying, hey, Paul, we're having some challenges in the church here. Can you answer some of these? And through the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's answering these questions. He's interacting with the Corinthian church so they understood what the truth is and what God sees of that. And God used Paul in a mighty way to communicate to that church. But the second major question was regarding things offered to idols. 
They were having a problem with idols and many other things that we saw through chapters uh, 1 through uh, one through the beginning of 10 even. We see they were, the church was struggling with many issues. <laughs> and so it's nothing new under the sun, right? And so Paul was answering these things that were offering to idols and how to deal with this. And he answers them through three full chapters. We've been on this chapter, this topic or this question regarding how to deal with idols in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And last week we saw that Jews experienced God miracles. Paul reminded them of the Israelites and the examples they, 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 they portrayed, in this case dangerous examples for us, where they were freed from Egypt, brought into through to go through the desert, to go directly to the promised land, but because of their idol worship and because of sexual immorality and because of the, of the evil that they wanted to be around evil things, they loved evil, dark things, and they were engulfing those even in the middle of a desert <laughs> after they've been freed from bondage. They still turned to their wicked ways and sinful ways. And so Paul reminded him, because that you chose the sinful ways in your life versus just surrendering, being thankful for God for freeing you from bondage and taking you to a promised land, that wasn't good enough. God even sent 12 of the guys into the promised land to scout it out, if you remember. Go, you're going to go scout. You're the Meyer scouts. Go check it out. 12 of them came back and what happened? Were they in unity? Were they, did, did they not talk about what they saw as they were coming? Can you imagine the conversations they were having coming back across and say, what are we going to tell them? Caleb and Joshua says, man, it's going to be great. You see the fruit? Look at the fruit we're bringing back with us. It's going to be awesome. But the other ten said, did you see the giants? Did you see the issues and the, the giants in our lives that would be in our lives over there? The problems and the issues and, oh, va, vi, me, what are we going to do here? And because of their disobedience, because they did not trust in God, they were left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And in a whole generation that was brought out of bondage, that 20 years and older, was brought out of Egypt, died in the desert except for Caleb and Joshua, two men, faithful men, who trusted and believed in what God had promised them. Oh, how difficult of a lesson that is. So we saw that Paul reminded them that you, Corinthian church, you have the same issue as the Israelites. You're lusting after evil things, 1 Corinthians 10, 6. You are guilty of sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6 and chapter 10, verse 8. You are guilty of idolatry in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and here in chapter 10, verse 7. You complained against God and what God was doing in your life. All you could do was murmur and complain. And that's sinful, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, 10. So you're nothing new under the sun here, people. You're writing this letter to me, but you're dealing with the same issues did you not learn from the examples that God gave us from the Israelites of our forefathers are you not listening are you not learning from the past or do you think you have to do it yourself to learn it but we learn very quickly you do not have to make the same mistakes sinful mistakes in your life to learn that's foolishness when you think that way 
You can learn from others of the past. The people around you can learn. And say, I don't want that life. I don't want to be in that sin. I don't need it. God, help me. And he will help you. Very simple. This tempting God attitude that the Israelites had and now the Corinthian church had, they're just tempting God, saying, daring him to act or test him to see if God is really real. And so I'm going to just live my sinful lifestyle. And if he's real, he'll deal with me. I don't think he's going to care. He really doesn't care about me. He's got other things to think about. You hear all these crazy things that we people, we say at times. And think God is not going to care if I live in this sinful life. It's just a little sin. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little this, a little of that. No big deal. It is a big deal. Because God sees all things. He knows all things. He's everywhere. He knows every single detail. Even the number of hair on your head. And some of you, it's much easier to count than others. But I'm getting less and less so I understand these things. But we see here that they were slaved in Egypt but were not permitted to enter the promised land to claim the full rich inheritance, that abundant life that God had for them. Now, Paul is not saying to the Corinthian church that they're going to lose their salvation here. He's basically saying to you, if you don't trust God, if you don't fully commit your life to God, then you're going to wander in, wander in your life. You're just going to wander in this world. You're not going to have any direction. You're going to have hopelessness. You're going to, get, you're going to find yourself in more darkness and more sins and lust of the flesh and idolatry. All these things are just going to come pouring into your life because you're just not fully committed to Christ. It's going to happen, and it does happen. We've all been there. We've all done that. When we find ourselves going, how did that creep back in my life? It was so subtle. But Paul is reminding them the impact it will have on their lives and the effect of, on others if they do not commit and stay fully committed to Christ and following him. He even warns in chapter 9, verse 27, what does he say? He says, if you're not careful, you're going to be disqualified, disapproved of God. You're unable to receive the rewards in heaven that he wants to give you. You're going to be walking into heaven as a believer with nothing, with no responsibility. You're not going to be in charge of anything. You're just going to have menial work almost kind of a feel in heaven because you're not going to be having the rewards that you could really have if you were just... Live for Christ now. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, we ended last week, he says, we, we see God allows us to be tempted, but he is faithful and knows how much we could handle, and he provides a way of escape if we will just trust him and be obedient to the direction the, the, the direction he is, he's guiding us. He's just, if we just be obedient and trust him, he will, this temptation and his Satan wants to devour you and, and the world wants to engulf you and your flesh wants to rear up and control you. God says, I will give you a way out. I will give you the power and the strength if you would just trust me. If you would just flee from idolatry, if you would just... Flee from your own selfish ways. Oh, what abundant life you could have. What stable life you could have. What hope and promises you can hold on to and have joy and peace in your life that you desperately want. 
But it's so unfortunate that just like the, the Corinthians, it's so true even to today's and the believers' lives today. Believers will choose to find whatever they can in this world to think that's going to help them. Oh, they'll turn to the entertainment world to try to please them. We'll turn to gaming to please us. You'll turn to alcohol or drugs or whatever else to just somehow to subdue what you're feeling. You'll just, just isolate yourselves in your room or gaming and, and all huddled in the darkness of the night and lay just I don't because I don't want to deal with my life. But if you will just simply come to Jesus and surrender all, he will fill your life. He will give you that peace that you're desperately looking for and the joy that you want so desperately to be able to share. Now, Paul continues, and it's very clear here in chapter, or verse 14 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says, and he's kind of bring, he brings it back to that eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And it's going to bring it back to that because this was the challenge that they were dealing with. He says, therefore, if, God, if you just, God's in control, God... God is, knows exactly. He's going to give you a way out. He's going to help you through these temptations and issues you're dealing with. But if you're for my beloved, my brothers, my sisters, my beloved, listen, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Don't hang around it. Don't entertain it. Don't have a light touch on it. Flee from it. That's what you need to do. Paul is saying is this in this original language, it's it, there's an actual uh, literally an, uh, an article before that. It's the idolatry. He's referring them back to this, these pagan temples that were surrounding that culture, and they were participating in the pagan worship. It wasn't any longer about just eating meat that was sacrificed to those idols that was sold in the market, but he's being very specific. We're talking about you, Corinthians, you believers, going and participating in pagan worship at the, the, the pagan restaurant there and, and just not only eating the meat, but participating and being part of that worship. That is not what you're supposed to do. Get away from, flee from that idolatry. But the Corinthian Christians, they are so wise in themselves. They think they're so strong. So they thought they could have the liberty to buy, not only buy the meat, but also participate in the pagan temple. It wasn't a problem to buy the meat from the butcher shop that was given meat from the idols worship. That wasn't the problem as we learned earlier. And take it home and put it on the barbie. It wasn't an issue. But to participate in the actual worship of it, that was the issue that Paul's going to deal with. And Paul used the example of the Israels, the danger of falling in back into idolatry, back into worshiping idols that you should not have done, even just worship God and God alone. Because participating in 
or around a worship of idols, the things of this world, or someone who represents this world, that is going to have an impact on your life, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, flee from any person. Flee for any activity or hobby or idea that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Because if any, any activity or any person or anything gets between you and your relationship with God, it's, a, it's an idol. And he says to flee from that idolatry. Or it will impact your relationship with Christ. It will sink you, man. It will. And it's so subtle because so many times we think we're so strong, just like the Corinthians. We're so smart. We're so wise. We're so strong. We're not like them. We don't have a little golden calf. No, really? It's probably not a golden calf, but what else do you call it? You know, what's keeping you from worshiping and serving your God? Maybe the golf clubs, you know? Maybe the little gaming Maybe it's the what entertainment. What is it that causes you and I to not worship the Lord? It's between you and the Lord. He's already singing it to your head already. He's already showing you. Paul says to flee from idolatry. This is not the first time Paul warns, warns them in the letter. He says to flee sexual immorality in chapter 6, verse 18. He says, he, he explains that an idol itself is nothing, but it can be used by Satan to lead you into sin. It's just an object that Satan can use against you to put a wedge in between you and your relationship with God. He says, anything that puts a wedge or can be used by Satan, just get rid of it. Flee from it. Just don't sit there and say, well, I see that's dangerous. I'll just put it in the back room. I'll just set it aside. You know that relationship that you're flirting with outside of marriage? You're just going to, oh, it's just, it's, just, it's just occasional phone call. It's just a once in a while text. Flee. Get away. From the sexual immorality. In verse 15 says, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Am I, he, Paul is basically saying, am I saying anything foolish here? You're smart enough. You're wise enough. You think you're wise enough. Am I saying anything that you, this is like Greek to you? or, or No, you, they, they, they knew Greek. They're Corinthians, right? So is this, is this, is this uh, you know, any other language, Latin or Jew? No. You understand what I'm telling you. What is your master passion? Is it power at work? Is it the position at work? Is it the pride? Is it the passion? We know in Deuteronomy 32, 17, idolatry is demonic. It's just a foothold. It's a way how Satan can get in after you when you put something or someone between you as a higher priority than God. And if we worship someone or as something other than Jesus Christ, then we must flee from idolatry. And in verse 16, Paul now uses the, the communion 
to bring home another point here for them to understand. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the, of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now, Paul's trying to make a point here, and we'll see it clearly coming in the next few verses here. He under, the people here in this culture, this ancient culture, completely understood what he was trying to get across here, speaking of about communion or communing with one another or partaking of together as a body. Because in those days when they ate, they sat there, and if you remember, their, their tables weren't up here. They were down there on the floor. They lay, kind of laid down on one arm, and, and there's food was on the table, and they had these bowls of, of the different things were prepared. And the, 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 the bread, the pita, they were breaking, and they were sharing. They would take them, break the bread, and pass it along. And someone else breaks the bread, pass it along. And then they would what we call double dipping. They would double dip, and so they were partaking of the same nourishment as their brothers and sisters around the table. That was, that was uniting. That was, that was fellowship. That was koinonia. That was oneness. And they understood that. So when Paul says the cup of blessing and the, and the taking of communion or sharing of the bread, the sharing of the vine, this was a, a, a intimate, commit, committed, this oneness of the body of people that were gathering to eat. And so Paul says, now think of that. When you, as you partake, you become one of that bread or one of, that, uh, of, of one another. You're sharing between each other. But he also, in that fact that he highlights the cup of blessing. What is the cup of blessing? Well, they understood and you understand that we see in the Old Testament during the celebration of Passover, there were four cups that were partaked of during the ceremony of Passover. The cup of blessing was the last cup of the four cups that they partaked in, in Passover. And so they understood that this cup of blessing, this was the Jesus, and even Jesus, as we see in chapter 11 here, and every time we do communion, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that Paul takes that cup of blessing, that cup of blessing at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever Christians take communion or took communion, they were aware of the connection to the Passover and through the Last Supper, that was the connection. That's when we commune or koinonia with one another. That's why when we take communion together, we do it together as a body because there's a unity within brothers and sisters. We don't do it individually. We take it together because it brings us back to remembrance of the unity of Christ that we have for one another. And by remembering Christ's death, the believer enters into a communion with the risen Lord. So that's why communion is so important to us. Not only unifies us as a believers, as a body, but it brings us in communion with the risen Lord. And we celebrate of what he has done for you and I personally. Paul then in verse 18 says, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat this of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? 
So here in verse 18, Paul gives another illustration of this truth pointing to the temple and the altar of sacrifices. He says, Israel understood the koinonia of communion. They understood that the, as the Jews get together, as they, they, they offered the peace offerings to the Lord in the tabernacle and later in the temple, that part of the meat was burnt, was risen, and the, and the fumes was raised up into, to, into the heavens. The other part was given for the priests. The other was part able to give partake and give to others. But there was a communion. There was that, that oneness of partaking of that same sacrifice. So this is, he understood as he, he got that point across to the, the Corinthians, that you understand that we're not talking about just eating the meat. We're talking about you're doing it with, as a worship and, and worshiping God in this way. Then he takes it to the next level and he makes the link here. He's look at verse 19. So what am I saying then to you all? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Okay, you got this, right? Israelites, they had to sacrifice, they, they burnt offering, it was a peace offering, it was a way of worshiping God, they, they came, it was unifying. When you and I do communion as believers, it's unifying because we're taking of the same bread, of the same vine, that brings us into communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a form of worship, we're worshiping God. You're good, but be very careful. Because you guys are also going to the temple, the pagan temples, hanging with the non-believers, and you're sitting there not only just, you're not just going there for the meat, you're actually worshiping demons when you're there worshiping with the Gentiles, sacrificing to these demons with this sacrificial meat. That is no touchy. That you do not do. That you cannot do. That's wrong. It's bad. You, you, what, you want to flee from that idolatry? You want to get flee from that kind of worship? Because that is not of God. That is of de demonic forces. Gets involved in that. You want nothing to do because it's going to harm your life. Oh, it's no big deal, Pastor. It's just a Ouija board. What's the big deal? It's just tarot cards. It, what's the big deal? It's just demonic gaming. It's just demonic forces. We're fighting evil and I'm part of it. It's just, what's the big deal? It's just a game. See, it might be just a game. It might be just a board game. It might be just cards. It might be, but you're opening up yourselves to demonic forces. You're opening yourselves up to things because you're playing with things that are dark and evil and it opens up opportunities for a Satan to attack you. Now, I don't know about you. I don't need any more reasons for Satan to attack me. I, have, I want no other reason for my flesh to rear up. I don't need to be around other people who are going to bring me back to my old life. I don't know about you, but it's tough enough to stay away and flee from it. Because we do work in the world. We do live around and, and, and travel within the community. We're not living in communion somewhere isolated as just believers. But even then, that's not even safe, is it? Because we're all sinners saved by grace. <laughs> and so you're, that ain't going to help you. So what do people do? Like I said earlier, 
you fall to the world, or you will isolate yourself so much that you will implode. See, some people say, if I just can get by myself and get in my room and just isolate from it, I'll be all better because I don't have to deal with people. No, see, you don't know the scriptures. Because the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become. And you actually implode. So Paul is very clear to these guys. Don't touch, don't go to these temples and do not worship with them. Idol is, yes, idol is a nothing in this world. We saw that in chapter 8, verse 4. It's not about the meat. It is about the meeting that you're participating in. That's the issue. So don't participate in the meeting. You have freedom, if you're conscious, say, because we'll see, to eat the meat. At, you got it at the butcher's, and you picked it up, and you found that was part of, you know, he already explained, not a problem. If it doesn't affect your conscience, you're not going to stumble someone else as we see, not a problem. But if, it, if you're going to go to the meeting and you're going to go to that's the problem. Don't go there. Because you're not going to win. It will slowly affect you, guaranteed. But we see in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You can't do it. You cannot sit there and have one foot in with God and the other foot in with the demons. Straddling the line. So how, and it's this philosophy that says, how, how good do I need to be or how much do I need to let go so that God doesn't torch me? But I still want to live in the world. How, how close can I live in the world and still be okay with God? Well, P Paul makes it very clear. You can't sit there and come and worship Lord and then turn around and, uh, you know, worship demons Friday and Saturday night and Sunday morning you walk in and say, Oh, I'm so glad. Let me come to the table and ask for forgiveness. How long do you can deliberately do that and think you're not going to be effective? That God is not going to intervene. How long? How long do you think your life is going to not come unraveled when you sit there and, and you want to participate in the things of darkness and evil and then at the same time want to come and partake of the table of the Lord? Paul says that you can't do that. You can't drink both. You can't have it both ways here. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. You've all tried. We've all tried. How far did it get you? Paul clearly is saying you can't, can't just willingly sin, participate at the table of demons on the Friday and Saturday, and then come in and just sit at the table of the Lord on Sundays and think, the Lord will be just fine with what I'm doing. That's foolishness, my brothers and sisters. I'm saying it as loving as I can. That's foolish thinking. It's, it's not a good life. That is not going to be an abundant life. That is not going to be an enriched life. That is not going to be a life full of joy and peace. You, you cannot have it. It's not possible. 
Why? Because God just says, right, in his word, it's not possible. And that's why Paul says in verse 27, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? <laughs> that's what you're doing. That's what we're doing. When we say, hey, I want to live my life however I want to live it. You know, I look like a Christian. I act like a Christian. I talk like a Christian at church, not at home, not at work. Oh, I, I remember when I first, you know, as a non-believer, the number one thing in my life was to marry my wife. She was Catholic, devout Catholic, Roman Catholic. I mean, deep. I didn't care because I wasn't raised in a godly home. I just wanted to marry her. But I learned how to cross and kneel and stand with the best of them. Everyone thought I was a Catholic. I was playing the game. But inside, I was, in, I was imploding. Because I was pretending. Until God got a hold of me and I heard the word of God Spoke for the first time. Yes, I went to the Catholic Church. Yeah, I heard them to say something, but that wasn't registering. I don't know what they were saying. I just remember the day when I saw some guy up there, Greg, Pastor Greg, open up the, the Bible and say, turn to, I don't even remember even when, what he was teaching out of, but all I know is I heard the word for the very first time, and my life was changed. I wasn't even in the sanctuary. I wouldn't even go in. I stayed in the foyer. Because I wanted nothing to do with that. But God says, I can still speak to your head wherever you're at. I can get to you, Corey, because I love you. And I died for your sins, too. Today's the day of your salvation. And so, but do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? unconsciously or consciously do you go out and do the things of the world and of the flesh or demonic evilness darkness do you think that it's are you trying to provoke the lord to jealousy deuteronomy 32 21 says they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not god they have moved me to anger by their foolish idols the Lord is not jealous of small, little, weeny, demonic forces. They are nothing compared to God. What he's jealous is, is that, th that those little demonic forces has gotten in between the relationship between you and him. That's what makes him jealous. There's no threat to God, but he's jealous of us. He doesn't want us to, to be destroyed. He doesn't want us to get hurt. So he's going to say, I love you so much. I am so jealous of the fact that they are having so much influence on you, that the world is swaying you, that your flesh is swaying you, the, 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 the worldly things, people are swaying you so much away from me and, the, and from my truth. I'm, my, oh, his righteous anger starts wearing up and says, that's enough. I want you back close to me. And I will take out one by one out of that, out of your life. One by one, I'm going to take it out. Corey, I'm going to take your business. It's going to be gone in less than a month. And it was gone. 
I'm going to take your health because you're, it's all about you and your looks and your abilities to play volleyball. I'm going to take it out. And within a seconds, I was hurt and I've never played volleyball again. And by the grace of God, he didn't take my wife and children away from me. What will he do to get rid of the idols in your life to get your attention? He loves you so much, he'll do whatever it takes. But Paul says to him, what does he say in the next part of the verse there? Are we stronger than he? Do you think you can continue to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it, and think you're stronger than God? That you're going to hold on to your life to what you want? I want my life. i got it all set. <laughs> I'm going to live here, and I'm going to do this, and you've got your laundry list, and you've been dreaming it for 10, 15, 20 years. Never comes true, but you just keep changing your dream list and say, oh, now this is my dream. This is where we're going to be. At what point do you think all those things that get between you and what God wants in your life, that you're stronger and you're going to hold on to those things? I assure you, God is stronger. He's God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And like I said, he knows all things. He sees all things. He's everywhere. You cannot run. <laughs> We've all tried. You cannot run. That's why Paul says in the beginning, you just need to flee from idolatry. It's no good to provoke jealousy of a jealous God. And it's danger to be playing with sin and tempting God. He is stronger and he's going to deal with you on that. It's so much better if you just repent, turn around, and come back to him so freely and so willingly, so humbly, and just sit and just fall to his, onto his, on your face and just cry out and say, God, forgive me. Oh, his loving kindness leads you to what? Repentance. Does his loving kindness lead you back to repentance today? I hope so. In verse 23, all things are lawful for me. Paul says, all things are lawful for me and for you, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful for you and me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying. Not all things are going to build you up in your faith in Christ. Not all these things are going to help. Matter of fact, if you're not careful, there are some things you allow in your life will actually hurt you, not help you, and will actually tear you down and not build you up. If you're not careful, there are things that you allow in your life because you selfishly want it, will actually hurt other people, not help them. Because remember, sin never just affects you. It affects everyone around you. But they will not only not hurt people, but it will also tear them down in their faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Yes, I have a Christian liberty. I have Christian. And we understand. And he, Paul highlights a very key responsibility of a believer here. And take note in your Bibles in verse 23. 
that we have a responsibility to follow Christ and mature in our faith in him. We have a responsibility. If you are a believer and you say you're a Christian, then you and I have a responsibility to follow Christ and mature in our faith. It's not good enough to stay as a baby Christian like you were saved 10 years ago and you're still not doing anything for Christ. The Corinthian Christians, with their focus on their own rights, I have Christian liberty, I have rights. And that became their stumbling block. That pride became the sin that was causing the problem in the church, in their life. They had their own knowledge, and they were so smart. They knew what they were doing. But the problem is, they were only asking one question in their own life. I'm going to do this. What's the harm to me? I get to do that. I have liberty to do that. It's not harming me. But that's a selfish statement. Instead, the question they should be asking, how is this going to affect me in a positive, encouraging, uplifting way in my walk with Christ? What good can this be for me? If I'm going to buy this, or am I going to go there, if I'm going to have that relationship and build a relationship with someone, is that a good relationship that's going to edify me, build me up? Is it going to be helpful in my walk with Christ? Is it going to help me to get the, the gospel out or encourage my brothers? To say, is this going to help me? It's not about what I gain from it, but how is that going to help me? That's the question we should be asking before we say yes to things. Can I go there or, or can I do that? Everything is lawful. But is it helpful? Is it edifying? Now, at no point does Paul say to you and I or to the Corinthian Christians here that says you need to stop your Christian liberty, the freedom that you've been given by Christ uh, as in a mature Christian and, and stop enjoying the privileges and the, and the things that God wants to, to bless you with. He didn't say that. He's saying be very wise in the choices you make and ask the question, is that leading you to do are you on the edge or are you playing on the edge of something that is dark and evil? Because it is, you're, 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 you're playing with fire and, and, and demons or the Satan would love to just use that to come against you. And it would cause something to hinder your relationship with Christ. It will cause or provoke the jealousy of the Lord. Just because something is permitted does not mean it is beneficial to you. I can go there, Pastor. I have freedom to do this. There's nothing evil about it. There's nothing. I can, I can live anywhere I want to. Go anywhere I want to. Talk to anybody I want to. You're right. It's permitted. But the question is, is it helpful for you? Is it good for you? 
Is it going to edify you? Is it going to help you in your walk with Christ? And if not, I don't care how much Hawaii is paradise. It may not be good for you. It may not be helpful. It may not encourage you in your walk. See, the Corinthians were not seeking the helpful things. They weren't seeking the things that would edify They were only seeking the pleasures of life and the things that were going to please them. They just wanted their bucket list full, and they wanted to do it all. They weren't asking a question if it was going to help them in their walk. But that's the wrong mindset they were having. And Paul was saying that's a wrong mindset. That's the wrong attitude. 1 Corinthians 6.12, he even said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Because there are some things that you might be permitted and allowed as a Christian to be able to freely to do that, but it could cause you to be brought into slavery, into bondage again. Don't touch it. If God didn't lead you, God didn't say and, con- and confirm for you to do or to go, then don't do it. Why would you even take it the risk of wanting to be in bondage and slavery again? That's why in verse 24 he says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So in verse 23 it was all about them, him saying, All things are lawful for me. So he was addressing, What about you, you individually? All things are lawful, but be careful what you allow in your life and who you allow in your life because it's not all helpful, it's all uninviting. Then he says, Now get outside of yourself. Think about others. Let no one seek his own, but let... But each one, the other's well-being. It's other's focus. That is what we're to have is Christ-centered, other's focused. Not self-focused. We have another responsibility. We are responsible to build up others in the faith and to seek their well-being. That is a responsibility as a believer. How important it is. Because the Corinthian Christians were asking one question. What's the harm to me? They did not consider how the actions were going to harm others. And that's a dangerous thing if you're in your mind says, that's what I want. Well, what about your wife? I don't. What about her? She'll have to figure that out. What about your ki- kids? I don't know. What about, what about your neighbor? I don't care. I love the fence the way it is. I'm going to paint the color whatever I want. Be very careful for you and I as a Christian. As a Corinthians, Christians, they were so self-focused, they weren't even thinking about others and how the impact it was going to have. But Paul is saying, we need not to seek our own, but we need to think about others' well-being. Remember in chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. When you want something so bad that it causes a brother or a sister to sin, you're really actually sinning against Christ. Romans 14, 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything but which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. 
You may have the liberty to have a glass of wine, but your brother and sister may not, and you may cause them to actually take a drink that God already told them they cannot drink. But you're sitting here swilling and saying, oh, this is a great taste from the vine. You should try some. And you cause them to stumble. You're causing them to, you're, you're sinning. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to the one another. I'm first. Oh, really? That's why we jokingly, but I'm telling you, this is such so practical. What do we say in Koinonia? Men, who goes first? Moms, the ladies, the girls, you know. Why? Because we want to teach men who are so self-focused to want to be first to learn to let others go first. It's simplistic as parents. You should be teaching your kids about not being selfish but putting others first. Men, you should be demonstrating that with your kids by making sure mom is first, your wife is first. And then as a couple, you might sure your kids know that Christ is first. Then mom, then dad, then the kids. These are practical things. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind... Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but loneliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Powerful verses, my brothers and sisters. Now, Paul here in verse 25 is going to deal with the question a little bit differently. He says, do not go to the pagan temples and don't go to that restaurant and worship and do and participate and eat that meat. But regarding the meat, when you buy it at the butcher or when you go to someone's house, how does that play out here? He says, it's, it's really interesting. He says in verse 25, eat Whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for your conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So he's helping bring clarity. He says, okay, I just very clearly explained it to you. Even back in the beginning of the letter in chapter A, he said it again. Don't worship idols. Flee from the idols. Don't go there and eat the meat and participate in the, 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 the pagan worship. But I also, in chapter 8, in the beginning of the letter here he wrote, and now he refreshes them and says, but when you go to the market and you buy the meat, don't come up to the butcher, don't look at the display and say, which meat was come from the, the, the temple, the, uh, the sacrifice meat? Which one is and which one's not? I want to know that. Because he says, it's meat. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. You have the freedom to buy the meat. If it's cheaper, buy it. It's okay. Take it home. Enjoy it. You're good. 
You know why? Because when it's a cow and it has a bunch of hooves on it, it was from the Lord. But when you take the hooves off and you get it just right and season it just right and put it on the barbecue, it's still good. Matter of fact, it's better. The sacrifices lost their religious character when it was sold to the meat market. Just don't even ask. For your conscience' sake, don't, you don't even need to know. But for those Corinthian Christians who had this consciousness, the fact that that meat did come from the temple, and they just can't get around it. They just know that cheaper meat, even though it's really good meat, came from the temple. I'm just struggling with that. He says it all comes from the Lord. It's all good in its fullness. You're free. You have freedom to do that. All food is permissible to the believer. We see that in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, Acts 10, 9 through 16, and verse 28, and also 1 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 5. I give you those scriptures because it's amazing how many times people, especially legalistic Christians, will try to communicate that you can't eat certain things. And then go back and take them back to the scriptures and give them God's word so that they understand that they can be free from their legalistic views. See, the mature believer can enjoy in his own house a good meal of meat regardless of where it came originally, if it came from the temple or not. You're free. But Paul then takes it on in verse 27. If any of those who do not believe non-believers, invites you to dinner. Now he gives you the scenario, someone invites you to their house for dinner. Have you ever been invited? Yes. And you're like, okay, can we eat this or not? We're gonna, God's going to solve this for you. It's going to be freedom for some of you. Watch this. He says, you come to there and you're invited to dinner and you desire to go. Yes, I want to go, but I'm not sure what they're going to serve. It's going to be freedom for you guys here. Eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. Go, sit, they give you a good, nice, hot plate of meat in front of there. It's great off right off the barbecue. Just eat it. Enjoy it. Don't ask for your conscience. Don't even ask where the meat came from. You're free. Just eat it. Enjoy it. If an unbeliever invites you to dinner, don't get into a debate about the meat. Thank you for inviting me for dinner but did you get that meat from which butcher? Was it on the left side or the right side? Was it cheaper? Don't do that. You're better not even going <laughs> than sitting there trying to debate what you're eating. Don't ask. It won't bother you if you just freely eat. I'll give you two more scriptures for you who are struggling with this. Luke chapter 10 verse 8 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17. Chew on that after church at home. Chew on that a little. That's a pun. Yes, you can laugh. That's okay. That's about as far as I go with jokes. Notice that Paul does not prohibit socializing with non-Christians. It is okay to go to a non-Christian home, to sit there and have a meal with them, so that God gives you an opportunity to share your, as a light and salt to share 
what God is doing in your life. And if the door's open and the Spirit's moving, to be even share the gospel with the non-believers. You're free to do that. Just do not go with the non-believers to the pagan worship temple and worship in a pagan temple. So some of you, I know, I'm not saying some of you as general and broad, but it's certainly happened in other areas uh, of previous churches where people come to me and say, I've been invited by a non-believer to go to their pagan worship. Is it I'm free to do that? Let's flip to what Paul, God gave Paul to tell the Corinthians. No. Well, I think it would be really rude of me. I'm trying to lead them to Christ. I'm trying to witness to them. I'm trying to be this. No. Now, I'll even take a stronger stance here. And I don't, it's not in my notes, but I'm going to take a stronger because God's bringing it to my memory here, and I, and I, I believe it's of the Lord. If someone invites you to go to a worship service called a wedding and their form of wedding is a form of worshiping falsely going against blatantly going against the word of God I I I would not I would not go to a homosexual wedding to be even more clear to you that's between you and the Lord. You need to seek the Lord. But I think as I sit there, I see that God would apply that to my life here. Because that's an ordained by God of a formal wedding. And you're asked to be a witness in that wedding. That's what it means to go to a wedding. We do that. It's not just about the cake, right? <laughs> you know. Sometimes you do donuts, but whatever it is, you know it's not about dressing up and getting out to just go dance. You know, I've heard that too. Oh, we're going to go to the wedding. Oh, who, do, who is it? I'm not sure, but we get to go dance. Okay, good. I guess that's one opportunity for you to go dance and eat the cake. Okay, but you realize you're going there to witness. Be very careful on some of those things that you choose to do. And he says it really kind of clearly in verse 29. Conscience? I love it. When I read that, I was like, it's like asking yourself, conscience? I say what? What do you see? You know, what's my conscience telling me here in this situation? He says, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food which for over which I Give thanks. So Paul's anticipating some pushback from the Corinthians here in the letter here. He's gonna, he says, well, so what are you saying here? You're conscious, and why am I being judged by another brother or sister of my conscience telling me yes or no that I can, can or cannot do? But he's basically saying that since the food in itself is not the problem, I can give thanks. I'm thankful for the, the fact that I'm getting some food. Why is anyone judging me for the fact that I am eating this food? As long as I don't violate your conscience or someone else's conscience, I have freedom. I'm good. I'm not violating anyone's conscience or my own conscience. I have freedom to be able to do so. I, why are you judging me? You shouldn't be judging me. Now, if I am violating my conscience or I'm violating someone else's conscience, then you should be 
coming and rebuking me. You should be challenging me. You should be saying, why are you doing that to my brother? Why are you doing that to my sister? And should be challenged for that. But he wraps up here in verse 31 and through 33. He says, therefore, and he kind of ties chapters 8, 9, 10 here all together. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's another responsibility for you and I. Whatever you do, we are responsible to glorify God in all things. And if you can't glorify God in what you're about to do, or what you're about to say, or where you're about to go, you can't glorify God in that. Should you be doing it? That it would be a no. You should not be doing it. Because you're not able to glorify God. The purpose of our lives isn't to see how much we can get away with as a Christian. But rather, how much can we do to glorify God in what we do? That is what our, our mission is. That's what our objective is. And if the Corinthians would have just kept that responsibility, that principle in their minds, is this going to for, glorify God? No. We're not touching it. No touching. Then they wouldn't have the problems in the church that they were having. They wouldn't be having the problems in their homes that they're having. They wouldn't be having the problems internally in their own self, in your own life. You personally would not be imploding if you would just say, does that glorify God? And if it says no, then you don't touch it. You flee from that idolatry. And he also gives them a very... Key thing in verse 32, give no offense. You should not be offending other people. He says, either to the Jews or to the Greeks, the Gentiles, or to the church of God, the, your brothers and sisters. You should not be offending any of them. That, that was representing the whole world, right? There was the Jews, there was the non-believers, and then the believers. That was it. Don't offend anyone. Verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So Paul makes it very clear to them and to you and I today as we end here is that I am looking at your life. I don't care if you're a Jew, I don't care if you're a non-believer, or you're a believer. I'm going to not do whatever I'm going to say and do, whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever my actions. My goal is not to offend you. Now, he's not saying he's going to compromise. Paul was never a compromiser. He was certainly not a man-pleaser. And we're not to be a man-pleaser. We see that in Galatians 1. But he says... I'm going to trust in what the Spirit is doing and He's leading me and I'm looking to minister and to, to be helpful to in your life. I'm looking to edify and build you up. I'm looking, A, if you're a brother and sister, I want to edify you and encourage you in the faith. If you're a non-believer, I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to be helpful because of kindness to you because kindness leads to repentance and I'm hoping my relationship with you will lead you to come follow me to Christ because that's who I'm following. And if he's a Jew, then I'm going to say, wow, what incredible heritage. And, 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 and what God, you're the, you're the chosen people of God. God has used you. 
to speed a light. To be, they fall short. But God is going to reuse them at the end times. But he said, I don't care who you are, where you're at. I'm going to be not offensive to you. Because I, number one mission for Paul and for us is that it, I'm not going to profit anything from my relationship from you. I'm not going to have a relationship with a non-believer so I can get some, something from them and profit from them. I'm not going to have a relationship with the religious system, the Jews. I'm not just going to go to church so I can I have a business and I'll go to the biggest church in the community so I can pass out my business card so I can get more business. That's what it is. That's what they're talking about here. I'm not going to go have a relationship with a brother and sister so that they can talk to him and say, hey, brother and sister, you've got more money than me. I want something from you. Can I have that from you? Can I have that from you? And then can I sponge this from you and get this from you? Because you have more than me. And the scripture tells me you're supposed to freely give. You've got more than one thing. You've got two or three of these things. Can you give me this? See, that's how people think. When you're not focused on Christ, you will use people. Paul says, I'm not going to profit anything from you. Matter of fact, we just read earlier, he says, I'm not even going to take what, is, what scripturally is real for me. I can receive a, a, um, a, a parsonage. I can receive a, a food and money from you to be able to live. Even if I was married, I could, you could provide for my wife too. But I chose for not to stumble or cause any problems or be false. I'm not going to take any of that. I'm going to build tents, and I'm going to have a secular job so that you can freely understand that I do not look for a profit. He says, but the profit of many, and that is I hope all I can do in my life is to help the people to Christ that they would become saved. That's all the value in my life is to watch people getting saved. There is no other value in my life. That's the most important, Paul is saying. That's what's going to make me a rich man in heaven. <laughs> the crowns, the, the rewards will come because I want to see people saved. It's interesting how Paul, and I want to take chapter 11, verse 1. Look at that. Chapter 11, verse 1. You, you know, the, those who divided up the Bible, there was no chapters, no verses. And they kind of, and from my perspective, and I think many commentators, verse 1 of chapter 11 really should have been with chapter 10. Because Paul ends and says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. See, Paul ends with such clarity to the Corinthian Christians here. Flee from idolatry. Stay away from those things that are getting between you and your relationship with God. Just follow me. I mean, I'm setting an example. Don't, the Israelites were a bad example, very dangerous example. I'm an example because I imitate Christ. I, my life reflects a relationship with Christ. You can follow me because I'm just going to keep pointing you to Christ with me. I'm following him. If you follow me, eventually you're going to come right up there and we're going to be both following Christ and no one and nothing will be in between us. Just follow me. Do what I do. 
If you just do what I do, you'll do well because I also imitate Christ. John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The freedom that we have comes from knowledge and that knowledge is, comes from the word of God and when that will set you free, you will get so focused on Christ and the things of the flesh and the things of the world will just, and the pride of life will just fade away. That's the answer, my brothers and sisters. Paul made it very clear. God has made it very clear for you and I today. Very clear. Very simple. But not always easy. Because we rely upon our own strength and not the power of God to change us. I love this summary that I saw and I wrote it down and we'll summarize here. I know we're over time. It says, all things are lawful, but... Will they lead to freedom, to your freedom? Or will that lead to your slavery? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful, but will they make me a stumbling block to others? Or a stepping stone for people to help people to move forward? In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. All things are lawful, but will they build me up? In my faith in Christ? Or will it tear me down and, and, and cause me to drift away and to separate from the things of God and the people of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but will they only please me? Or will they glorify Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. All things are lawful, my brothers and sisters, but... Will they help to win the loss to Christ? Or turn them away from Christ? 1 Corinthians 10.33 All things are lawful, my brothers and sisters. Flee from idolatry. And flee into the arms of Christ. Father, we thank you and we do praise you for your word this morning. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you this day. Lord, if there is anyone here today that you spoke to, oh, may they just reflect on that and meditate on the truth you've given them. There would be joy and peace.